0: Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by George Stocker. George, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Could you let everyone know a little bit about
1: who you are and what you do to give some context for what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, as Jonathan said at the top, I'm George Stocker. I've been a software developer for about 18 years now. Um, Prior to being a software developer, I was in the army and then I got out, started doing software development professionally and have since then been in both large corporations, small corporations, startups, um, B2B SaaS, everything across the spectrum with all types of team sizes. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to go independent and I took it. And since then, I've been doing uh, subcontracting while still trying to uh, niche down and actually create my own business where I don't have to trade time for money.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. Perfect. And can you tell folks a little bit more about your any specialties or what sorts of things you've done inside of software development?
1: Yeah, so uh, I focused primarily on .NET through my career, which is the Microsoft stack uh, akin to Java. And I have worked in a lot of different uh, programming stacks, but that's the one that I've worked longest in. And the most type of work that I've done uh, is legacy modernization, uh, where large enterprises and medium-sized enterprises have uh, .NET applications that have um, gotten long in the tooth. Mm -hmm. And their choices that they face are either rewrite or find some way to make use of this .NET application uh, in the brand new world we have where cloud is a thing. Uh, And so much of my work is architectural in nature, uh, helping teams figure out how to split up their monoliths, uh, helping teams figure out uh, what to rewrite and what not to rewrite and how to use uh, something that's made so much money for their business over the years uh, without trying to pour heavy costs of a big bang rewrite into Mm -hmm. it. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen so many times I've seen, well, let's, let's, yeah. Rather than me talk about my experience, (laughs) what has your experience been when people do do a big rewrite? Yeah. So as someone who has made this mistake myself, uh, thinking that I could possibly rewrite an application in less of a time than it took to write it initially. um, The biggest mistake is that people thinking that, Hey, if we just rewrite this thing, we will solve all the problems we used to have. We won't have any new problems, and it will take half the time it took us in the first place, none of which are true. Um, so people run into uh, long slogs where they've are you know, they committed to the rewrites. So they've sunk the cost fallacy of saying, I have to rewrite. And then once they get into that, then they realize, oh, crap, this old system that's still making us money has a lot of ins and outs and what have yous that we didn't know about. Um, and now they're stuck in a place where... they feel committed to finishing the rewrite. But at the same time, um, they're they're not seeing uh, stakeholders, they're not seeing the value from a rewrite that they were pitched by their architects and by their development teams. So these projects end up getting canceled. uh, People get fired. um, And then the business is still stuck with this old monolith that it's increasingly finding a hard time to maintain. uh, And it still needs to make money and evolve in an ever-changing business landscape. And so it, it just, the problem compounds upon itself. Um, now, through sheer force of will, sometimes the rewrites work, but it typically is sheer force of will. Right. And you just end up with new problems. Yes. And the, the, the circle starts again. Yeah. And you get
0: one of my, uh, I, I can't even, there's so many stories popping to my mind. I have never
1: heard of one of these things going well, ever, ever. No. And, and no yeah. Um, Joel Spolsky uh, in the early 2000s wrote Things You Should Never Do, part one. And he references the Mozilla, uh, excuse me, the Netscape rewrite that shouldn't have happened from four to six and how that tanked Netscape. But that, you know, while, um, while that's a famous example, we're seeing, you know, hundreds and thousands of little examples pop up every day. Um, and the, the problem, like uh, one of the projects that I was part of, that failed that got me into, okay, you know, now we need to actually like focus on how to do this right, uh, is that when businesses make a bet. They don't realize that um, how long the investment is for or how short the investment is for. And what I mean by that is saying, hey, I would like to use you know, fancy new technology. Well, fancy new technology is either going to have a lot of warts that you don't know about or uh, it's going to work. And then you have to deal with those warts. If it fails, you still have to like deal with the fact that the business landscape is changing around you, uh, for instance, the introduction of cloud, and that people- the software developers you have underneath you that are working on this thing, they don't have, um, they don't necessarily want to stay in the old world forever. You know, they want to increase and grow their careers. So there's a lot of forces that are pushing and pulling uh, that make a rewrite both a, attractive uh, and deadly. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the that's the main thing that I've seen is that,
0: that the, the developers who are usually, they're usually advocating really hard for a rewrite because they don't want to become a dinosaur and they're sick of the old code base. It's really frustrating. They want to work on shiny new cool stuff. Like they see all the cool kids doing. And so there's all of these, all of these non-business related motivations for the developers to be advocating for it. And then the business maybe is convinced, but you know, it's really, it's really naive, really naive. Uh, Again, I, I don't think I've ever seen one of these things go well. So, all right, so this isn't really a show about how to <laughs> how to do it or that it's a bad thing. I mean, it, it, you know, that's not the point. The point is, how does someone, how do you connect with someone who needs you in this situation so that you can help them avoid what is almost surely going to be a tragic situation? So, yeah, yeah so that's the main question for today. It's kind of a positioning thing, but it's also, it's... I think even more it's gonna feel more exploratory than that. It's not just like hey, let's let's come up with some positioning statements and see which ones seem like they would work hypothetically Um, so So let's talk about there's a bunch of different ways to tackle this kind of a thing Uh, The one that I like to start with if possible is the who so if the problem is well, let's articulate the problem Uh, and this would this is sort of the underlying problem uh, and I would sort of summarize what we've been talking about as, you know, there, there's, there's a consideration on the table to do a Big Bang rewrite. And there's, this, there's a push and pull. There's some, some desire uh, to do it and some fear about doing it. So that's kind of the situation. Uh, is, is that really the problem, though? Or is the problem
1: that, like, why is it a problem at all? Why not just stay on the monolith? yeah so what the business is seeing uh, is they're seeing longer time to get features out. They're mm-hmm. seeing uh, more outages and more regression bugs um, and they're seeing increased maintenance costs that is that their team is spending a lot of time putting out fires in their system uh, instead of delivering you know what hopefully gives gives the business its competitive advantage
0: okay so a ceo or uh, somebody in leadership inside of a company depending on how big the company is maybe it's a department head or something or an svp or what it doesn't matter but it's somebody in charge of a big budget and they've got this software that is like you said earlier getting long in the tooth it's got all these problems there's just regression error all these things
1: i should point out there's one other aspect to this that you also see this and that's also when a business has commissioned an mvp typically from an offshore team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be offshore. It's just any situation where the people who are building the software, their values are not aligned with the people buying the software. Mm-hmm. And so they build something quickly. The business uses it. When they're small, they see traction with it. This is great. By the time they realize that there are so many hidden traps in this thing, it's too late. They've built right. their whole business off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now they're trying to scale, which is where I'm I've, I've currently trying to position myself on that side of things. They're trying to scale and realizing this can't do it, and they're seeing outages, they're mm-hmm. seeing regression bugs, and they're losing sales because of it. Okay, I would categorize these as um, it, this is interesting because
0: it's very you're basically using the same skill set, but I would I would characterize these as two almost unrelated types of symptoms or underlying diseases. So the mindset, unless I'm mistaking you, but like if somebody's if somebody's trying to scale an MVP without doing the legwork of properly architecting and so forth, that feels like a very different scenario um than, than like we've got this giant monolithic thing that that we just we need to do something about because it's causing business problems. Is that am I misunderstanding how big the MVP
1: is, or do you agree that those are different scenarios those are different scenarios but because of their impact on the business uh in the latter case if we've just got a big monolith you know we've got to do something about it you can limp along you can you can duct tape it in the case of an mvp the problem they're running to is more acute and more urgent that is we have to scale either because our um vcs want us to or our private equity equity group or whoever or bootstrapped like we need to make more money um, and this isn't doing it. So they're seeing it from a, not from just a cost savings and not just from a maintenance perspective, but they're seeing it from an acute, we actually need more money to come in the door perspective. Mm.
0: Okay. So whenever I hear the word more acute, <laughs> I get, I, I lean toward that, you know, like limping along, uh, doesn't sound great. Like if, if the, if the business can limp along and like maintain the status quo, i in a sales meeting with someone like that, I'd be like, go ahead. I I don't want to get involved with something unless you're, you're, you know, they're, you're feeling like severe pain because I know what a mess these things are. It's not a small problem to it's, it's a major undertaking to deal with any of these things, uh, in a sort of monolithic scenario. And if they're comfortable limping along, I'd be like, there's no value here. You know, like, um, the, the example I use is, um, is underfunding public education in the u.s like almost anybody is going to say like yeah teachers aren't paid enough or yeah teachers shouldn't have to be buying paper for their kids or whatever and a lot of people will agree with that as suboptimal let's say Uh, (laughs) it's it's a problem but the symptom it affects everybody differently and nobody owns it so like whose whose problem is it and what symptoms does that problem how how are those how does that problem present itself in different people cuz it's going to present differently that same root cause is going to present differently to the students to the parents of the students to the teachers to the administrators in the school to the uh, city officials to all the way up the food chain to like federal officials everybody's going to have a different symptom from that same problem so with something like something like a big monolithic system that is capable of limping limping along and they can kind of just throw more devs at it then unless i was talking to the ceo or someone way way up the organization who had who had autonomy and a lot of budget and had what i believe to be a major um major i don't want to say the word problem like a major symptom that was just they were like look this is going to be the like the existential level system uh problem so like they they're like this will be the we're losing customers amazon's coming into the space we're in a race for our lives uh we if we don't do something about this we're probably gone now my ears are perked up but if i'm talking to somebody in a sales interview in the sort of legacy monolith model that's just like eh you know we, this isn't an existential crisis I'm like, I'd rather not touch it (laughs) unless I was maybe doing something very small and advisory. So something like that. But anyway, when you when you when you when I imagine those two scenarios, the other one being, you know, somebody's got a private equity firm that's just like this is our chance. The proof of concept is working. We're destroying the brand because of the fail whale (laughs) is popping up, you know, every day. Then that to me is like that sounds like a scenario that's a probably much more fixable could be wrong there that's a big assumption but probably more fixable um just because the again probably because the size of the code base and the cultural situation
1: is going to be way more everyone's going to want to fix it right everybody's aligned in the other situation you have a lot of people with a lot of different agendas and they're not all aligned 100 percent right
0: so for the for the purpose of this conversation let's drill into this uh scaling the mvp angle What what kind of companies are we talking about here? In your experience, what kind of companies are we talking about? Is there a vertical that you are are most familiar with or one where there's really a lot of money at play? You know, I don't know, fintech, for example, or something, something big.
1: Yeah, so... um... I've seen it across a few verticals, but I don't know if B2B SaaS is actually a vertical. That sounds like an entire, that sounds like an entire set of verticals. It's a starting place, yeah. Um, but in B2B SaaS, and the other condition that caused this is generally that misalignment. It's generally that first initial team that built it is not the team that has it now, uh, mm-hmm. generally because they offshored or generally because they got you know a consultancy to build them their MVP and you know, use their initial seed round uh, or pre-seed round on that. And then they're now, now they're uh, in a different situation. So it is um, it is generally uh, because people who grow organically that bootstrap, they don't have this issue because they can keep up with it. You know, they didn't, they didn't come into the situation late. They were planning for this. Um, but generally VC wise, they're planning for their next round. It's a very different, it's a short-term versus a long-term mindset. It's so those people with that short-term mindset. Um, because they have to, like, they're like, Hey, we're not going to have runway in six months. So it really doesn't matter if this thing, you know, is, is going to fail us at, you know, a hundred thousand users, if we can't even launch it for a hundred users. And so it's there, it's that my, it's that type of, I I don't know if I'd call it a psychographic, but it's that type of situation um, that generally makes this occur.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: I love that. It's, it's definitely not bootstrapped um,
0: outsourced MVP. So there's a lot of things here that are somewhat outwardly identifiable. There's still a little bit inside the company. You, you might not know if they outsource the MVP, for example, but, um, can we drill in more? What are some of the verticals that are most common in B2B? Yeah.
1: So the, uh, with customers, I've or been potential customers, clients I've been talking to when I've been doing research into this space. Um, I've seen it in, uh, the marijuana industry, um, and in um, the uh, somewhat with AI, but less so, um, it looks like they, they have a different set of issues around uh, DevOps, uh, ML DevOps. Um, but I've seen around the marijuana industry, I've seen around B2B SaaS, where they're targeting, um, you know, they're going up the verticals. So they, they start targeting small companies. Now they're targeting larger companies, um, and they're, they're finding these issues um, regulated space. Uh, so insurance. So in, in insurance, um, because, and one of the issues they have is they both have a lot of changing, uh, regulations, uh, in some verticals. Um, so like in the alcohol and beverage industry, um, but other verticals like life insurance or health insurance, um, you know, they have to either figure out new plans to offer or local regulations to deal with. And so their change comes from trying to build and maintain a system that can handle, those changes, um, that come just out of the wind out of a whim. Yep. But are these, are these monoliths or are these like insurance
0: doesn't, I don't really think, or, or even alcohol doesn't feel like new enough. Is there a lot, are there a lot of disruptors in these spaces that are trying
1: to come in with MVPs or, yeah, that's where you're seeing um, when private equity makes a move. So money goes to where it gets, gets its greatest return. Mm-hmm. Um, you see them saying, "Okay, we, we've got some money in the stock market. Now let's put some money into these companies and grow these companies." So in in one situation, it would be like internet sales of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an actual industry that is uh, growing and that has a lot of online changes, partially due to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see that in that space. Uh, of course, marijuana uh, I don't know that space as well, but I, as I was talking to some customers in that space, they've, they've also had, uh, those issues. And that's primarily because, um, you know, the industry itself is growing, um, because it's being, um, it's being legalized and decriminalized, Mm uh, legalized in some States, decriminalized in others, and that's causing that industry to grow. So they're, they're starting to see those pains. So give me a sense of, uh, can you give
0: me an example to just kind of instantiate it for me? Like what's a B2B SaaS look like in the
1: marijuana industry? Like, like Yeah. Um, so you can deal with, uh, they're dealing with different parts of the supply chain, um, but they're also, so they could be direct between um, the, the growers and distributors, but it could also be between um, like an online marketplace for, you know, so in certain States you can, you can buy it in an online marketplace or, you have uh this software handles the point of sale for those local uh marijuana shops so it handles the logistics and the um POS management in those shops
0: okay so we're kind of talking like SAP for weed square for weed and uh yeah. shopify for weed
1: basically yeah
0: okay and and there are there are and you're telling me that that people don't use square and shopify and and SAP they have or Netsuite, maybe they are using some some stuff that's specific to their industry, or that, it, or
1: certainly there are companies that are trying to be the Netsuite of weed. Exactly because of uh, social and legal issues uh, and financial issues, mm-hmm. if you say say to your bank, "Oh, by the way, yeah, we sell weed," mm-hmm. um, that could have a different impact on you and on your business and on anybody that does business with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause stigma or stigma and just regulations, yep. um, you know, bank banks do not like risk mm-hmm. and <laughs> telling the federal government, yeah, we have clients that, uh, that buy and sell weed. Mm. Um, that could be an issue. And so you end up having basically things that stay inside of states. So you have an, an industry growing inside of California that doesn't, doesn't, you know, doesn't leave the state because if it does now you've got federal problems. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's what you, you know, that's what you wouldn't see in other types of verticals. And insurance, it's mostly dealing with um, ever-changing regulations and trying to handle the increasing complexity of doing insurance, uh, whether it's property or life or health. And you're telling me in the insurance space,
0: there's there are like
1: disruptors
0: that are out there selling an MVP.
1: They are they are trying to scale their MVP, or they have a or in another case, they have a long-standing. Uh, system that worked when things were a lot simpler, but things are no longer simple. Um, so I'm ignoring those people now, though. So those yeah. those are the monolith people, right? Right. Yeah. And I, I use monolith as a uh, as a term for basically also means legacy, also means uh, not built to take advantage of modern affordances like the cloud. Um, it's not cloud native, so it ends up being a catch all for you know everything that isn't that. Right. Yep. I get,
0: I get that. So I'm trying, and when I saw insurance, I was like, uh, it feels like we're oozing into legacy. But if there there are, you know, if there are are disruptors that have, or even it could be, it could be a air quotes legacy company that did get, I don't know, maybe it's internally funded or whatever, but they got, they they created a brand new thing and it's not based on their, their old way. You know, something they built in in the eighties with COBOL. It's a new thing you know, like um, uh, you know, like if I don't know if Intuit made fresh books as like a as like a, a side bet. You know what I mean? So does that does that is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Or like are there legacy companies that are in this that are trying to
1: disrupt themselves basically? Not as much. Um it's more of, you know, smaller players. Um with the legacy companies they're not so much trying to disrupt themselves as they had that other problem that we're ignoring now. You know, they're, they're trying to react to the fact that they can't, they can no longer, their system no longer does what it needs to for them. So they're having the other issue that isn't as um, acute.
0: Okay, so yeah, it's in, in my mind, I'm visualizing like uh, the the legacy people are trying to turn the Queen Mary and these other people are trying to pack more people onto a, a jet ski, so very, very different. Okay, so let's stick with the jet ski people. Continue to stick with the jet ski people. Um, so I'm kind of crossing off insurance there, unless you can, unless you tell me that there is uh, that there are a bunch of like There's a lot of activity in this space.
1: A surprisingly number of people on my email list. Uh, hail from an insurance background which I did not expect but they're Um, the
0: jet ski people or are they the queen mary people they're the queen mary people okay so forget about them so if we if we're talking jet ski there's tons of that in fintech I know that's I happen to know that that's true yes okay Uh, all right and give me one more so we've got uh, we've got jet ski people are are marijuana industry fintech give me one more um would you all do uh alcohol and beverage sales or no, uh, if there are disruptors, you know, if there's jet ski people there. Yeah.
1: Um, doesn't seem like there would be, but no, I, they're there. Again, when I talk to potential clients, I've talked to clients in this space, um, who've had these issues. Um, but it was not, it was not very many. So it's a, it could be a sample size problem, uh, or it could just be, there aren't very many people that are dealing with that in the space. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's see, uh, the other one, um, as I said before, uh, people in the, uh, machine learning space, that's, uh, and the AI space, those are spaces that are both, uh, growing. Um, and typically though, they're not using when they are using.net, they're using it because that's what they knew before. Mm-hmm. So they're not using it because oh gosh, you know, .net's the best for AI. Now they're using it because I know, uh, .net and I want to do this new AI thing, um, so let me use, you know, uh, ml.net and let me use that and let me grow a business off that.
0: Okay. But um, what business, what businesses are the most obvious? Cause
1: that's just a tool, right? So I don't have a good answer for that. Um, because I'm, I'm, it's one of those spaces that I'm not in. And so I just see the, the effects of the space. So I just see people flocking to it, not necessarily, uh, what their business is behind flocking to it. Exactly. Okay. So, um,
0: What's another one? What about remote work, like sort of B two B remote works, like Zoom and other collaboration tools? Have you has that been
1: something you've not stumbled not people across? I've talked to, uh, like for instance, the people I've talked to in my list or in my my social networks, uh, mainly Twitter. Uh, not that I've seen in those. Um, there is one that is uh, B two C home um, delivery in that space so more of those are cropping up yeah the things that center around how to get uh, things to the house um, that consumers want Um, so is that so if you had a
0: bunch of leads let's say and one of them was b2c instead of b2b would you be like i don't know or would you be like yeah that's fine
1: yeah no i'd be like yeah that's fine um the problem doesn't change maybe the scale uh, at at which we have to fix, it changes. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've got 5 million people using your system, it's a lot different than 5,000. Right. Um, but the problem itself doesn't change. Okay. All right.
0: So, all right. So I I feel like we've identified three hypothetically, the hypothesis is that there are at least three, probably a lot more of these, um, jet ski type people who are, you know, I don't know, trying to pull a tugboat with a jet ski, however you want to (laughs) use the metaphor um who tell me tell me more about what the ideal company size is like give me a sense of the the company that that would be your client that's got this mvp is it a 10 person firm a 100 person firm a thousand person firm like what's the you know it, it and just to give some context there generally i have found that when a company gets big enough they don't need they don't always need an outside consultant because they have they can hire that person as a fte full-time employee Uh, but when they're too small maybe they don't have enough budget to afford your exorbitant rates you're right (laughs) so there's like a sweet spot where the company's pretty big and there's a You know, I would think these particular kinds, they're going to have a revenue stream. So it's not like there's just pie in the sky. We're trying to make an MVP and see if anything sticks. You know, these people have something to lose and they see not only something to lose, but they see a a window of opportunity that's probably closing. And so they're going to be in a big rush. Uh, But so what's the, what in your experience is the best size for you uh, in terms of, let's say headcount? It could be be other ways that you could measure it, but
1: let's just say headcount. Yeah, tech team would be under, um, definitely under 50, probably under 25. Uh, company size, definitely under 500, most likely under 250, um, or just getting close to that. So probably, you know, between, between 20, between 50 and, I would say between two fifty and 250 on the company size and the tech team, the people responsible both for operations and development uh, would have to be under, probably between uh probably between 10 and 50 at the outside once you start getting above that you've you've got all of as you said you've got all of the institutional knowledge that you need to solve this problem on your own generally mm-hmm. okay all right so if we
0: if we picked if we just ran well okay so let's do do you personally have any problem working in the marijuana space or would you prefer if you had to pick between weed fintech and home delivery what would be who would you rather
1: hang around with yeah so i'd rather not hang around with fintech um because they're not my kind of people but the marijuana people aren't are also um they're cooler um but there are social stigmas around that um so fintech you know from a business perspective it would make most sense and least stigmatizing to go with someone like fintech um but when you say make the most sense what do you mean uh, in that it's the most socially acceptable. Um, it is going to have a lot of growth uh, in the space. Um, I think you said first you wouldn't want that one. Well, I mean, from like a, gosh, do I want to hang out with finance folks all day? Um, and the answer is probably not. Um, but, you know, that's you know, that's one of the three industries that's, that's growing here.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's so interesting I more, that you're... <laughs> I find that fascinating that you're, that it sounds like you're considering when you say social stigma, you mean that you care about personally,
1: uh, like you don't want to that tell. I care about because people in my, uh, people with my background care about it. So let's say none of this worked out and I had to go find a job again. I live in the Northern Virginia area, right outside mm-hmm. of DC. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of government, uh, and government centered jobs out here. And mm-hmm. if this didn't work out and I went back to him and said, Hey, I'd like to get my clearance back and work Mm -hmm. in them. They're like, you worked in the marijuana space. And I'm like, yes, I did. And that would be an (laughs) instant no. Okay. Um, and so that's why, like, I don't have any personal issues with it, but if I, as a fallback, if all of this failed, then it would be difficult for me to get a job in this area, uh, in the, in, in, or around the government space, which is most of the jobs in this area. Mm, Got it. Okay. Uh, well, what about home delivery then? If you don't really care for finance people? Uh, let's, let's go with finance people, but home delivery would definitely be, uh, an option. Okay. Uh, right. And, you know, and I think
0: I, I would guess, I don't, this is probably a huge, another huge assumption, but I would guess that there's going to be a difference between jet ski fintech people or finance people and queen Mary finance people, uh, could be wrong. Um, but I would imagine that they're going to be a little bit more creative and entrepreneurial and less status quo-y and buttoned up, but who knows? Um, okay.
1: So if we were gonna, if we were going to look for. And that's true too. Um, you know, I, when I, when I think of FinTech, I do think of the large, uh, Queen Mary types. Um, and so yeah. I, I could just have a, uh, a misperception of the startups in this space. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it would be pretty cool to work at Square or
0: Venmo even. I mean, Venmo is PayPal, but, you know, one of these one of these whippersnappers it's, it could be cool. I don't know. I, I yeah. really don't know, but I do have other students that do serve fintech, and there are just thousands, thousands of these upstarts that are getting funded. Just yeah. so, so many of them.
1: Yeah, so Stripe would be fun. Square would be fun. Venmo, you know, PayPal would be okay. Um, so yeah, those are, those are okay companies. It's the, I guess it's the larger ones that I'm uh, maybe have a different perception of. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Stripe, thing, I, there's so many, I think there, it could be cool. Anyway,
0: could be cool. <clears throat> so, so that you're not doomed to a life of white button down shirts. Um, okay. So if you were going to look for fintechs that had 50 to 250 employees, with a tech team between 10 and 50 people that, that they've already had that, that had a seed round or something like that. Where would you look? Uh, the LinkedIn sales
1: navigator. <laughs> yes. <you're>, that <laughs> is right. <laughs> that, that is the first place I would look. Uh, I recently bought a subscription to it and, uh, it's wonderful for finding mm. these sorts of things. And that's mm. how I got in touch with all of uh, my, my potential clients. When I was first trying to niche down the, like B2B SaaS CTOs, mm. I found them all through that and it's mm. wonderful. Mm. Okay.
0: And is it the CTO that you would talk to about this stuff or would it be the CEO, do you think?
1: I don't know enough to know if the CEO would see the issue. I know the CTO would see the issue, but might lack agency to fix it uh, or, or lack the, you know, the budget to fix it if they're not, you know, if they're not on the board. Uh, and in some cases they are, in some cases they, they aren't. And then they have to uh, go to the board and try to get them to spend this money. Oh, well, let's, let's explore that a little bit
0: because I'm, uh, it's a slightly surprising for me to hear that, but I'm sure you can clarify. So, so what, tell me more about the, the problem that a jet ski company would have at this particular point in time.
1: Yeah, they would be, um, typically as I've seen, they would be trying to, uh, scale up and they would be having outages If depending on the type of company outages on their big sales days. Um or having, you know, they are not able to uh, go after new markets uh, as quickly as um, the CEO would like. So the CEO is saying, hey, you know, we need to be in this new market in three months. And the CTO is like, yeah, that's going to be a problem. Why? Uh, Just because of, just because of um, load? uh, Load, uh, definitely. Um, Decisions made in the past uh, under different sets of circumstances by the development team. Meaning, um, can you make that concrete? Sure. So uh, they've decided that they're going to you know, store all their data uh, in SQL Server, which is great, but they're going to use triggers to handle auditing and updates. And then when you get to a certain point uh, of complexity or of size, uh, the triggers start to make your database fall over. Now, that is, that is it's another space that uh, someone like Brent Ozar goes in with SQL Server performance. But if you want to get out of it, there are other ways uh, where you don't have to you know actually try to deal with the database part you can actually do it in other ways and those those other ways are where i come in okay so you they can't expand to new markets not
0: because that you know somebody hard coded the virginia regulations into the into the code base and they now they can't easily expand to west virginia or something so it's not that it's it's a like load
1: yeah and it can be the former but it it typically isn't it's typically something load oriented um, yeah, or something that, hey, we we got to this, uh, we get this size and we're seeing memory pressure that we would otherwise wouldn't see and we don't know how to fix that. Um, yeah. And also uh, from the monolithic point of view, if they're still operating as a monolith, they don't have the ability to horizontally scale. Don't confuse yourself, forget about
0: monolith, stick to jet ski. So like, that's that's like, I know it's difficult, but for this exercise, like that's that's the thing, like let's niche down and find exactly what
1: the problems are yeah. Well, then, so when I use monolith, I don't necessarily mean something large. I mean, something that is a single deployable that can't be horizontally scaled. Fair enough. Okay. So the horizontal scaling is a particular problem. They business. Well, they, they, they see that as a solution. I want to horizontally scale. I can't with the situation with the current status of my system. It does not horizontally scale, but I want to, um, and that's one issue they see. Okay. So
0: you're just talking about the architecture. of
1: the. Yeah. Okay.
0: Got it. Uh, yeah, I was conflating that with legacy. Okay, so um, what are some other what are what are some other things that the CEO doesn't want to hear from the CTO? C- CEO says, "Make this happen," and the CTO says, "Sorry, so can't." Uh, they're having outages on big days. I gu- I'm guaranteed the CEO knows about that. Yes. And doesn't like it. Can't expand it into larger markets. Guaranteed the CEO knows about that because he's probably he or she is surely the person that wants it and is getting a no, what other things would a a CEO request that they just get a Not, not, not the reason why it's a no, but what are other things that they would get a no?
1: Um, It could be uh, the CEO saying, I want to move to the cloud. Um, And just because, you know, that's a, that's a buzzword. Uh, And the CTO could be saying, no, we can't do that. Um, that would be one other thing, and that's that goes along with the horizontal scaling. Usually no one wants to move to the cloud because they want to move to the cloud. They want to move to the cloud to get rid of uh, their data centers, um, and they want to move to the cloud so they can horizontally scale their application because that's easier than trying to vertically scale an application.
0: Mm, okay. That sounds a little bit like a solution masquerading as a problem, but okay, yeah. I'll take it. Um, all right. It's basically a load thing. Yes.
1: Okay. so in some way shape or form it does not perform the way it needs to at a critical time okay uh is there is there much in the
0: way of There's probably not much in the way that the those older like the legacy ones that have you know regression errors and stuff like that i feel like there probably would be less of that but but you tell me like is the ceo are, are there Never mind the out the load based outages. Mm-hmm. Are there like a lot of bugs in production? Are there embarrassing, show stopping bugs, or like lots of I don't know, like a really bad UX or other brand damaging complaints that these people are likely
1: to be getting? Yeah, all of those things because they're trying to move so fast, um, and their system can't does not allow them to move that fast, uh, and so you end up having regression bugs. You end up having show stoppers. You end up having you know, late night deployments and redeployments, um, you know, on-call issues um, where the, you know, the tier three support has to be, um, you know, on-call because um, we're having these things happen at two o'clock in the morning, regularly, batch update. Um, And so they end up getting pulled into those, which ends up, you know, increasing uh, turnover uh, and stress on the development team. So...
0: When you say they're trying, so, so is it, if I was going to put that another way, are you saying that they're basically duct taping things onto this thing that just fundamentally can't support what they're trying to do? And that creates a lot of bug, like you said, they're
1: trying to move fast. Yeah. So they, the, the impact you see is that we want to add new features. So we you know, we feel pressured to add new features, even though we know in our hearts, uh, we've actually got to re-architect this thing. Um, But we're feeling pressure to add new features, so we're going to add them at the speed the business wants, which ends up compounding uh, the problem. And so they end up seeing, you know, the the impact is you see these regressions, you see these showstopper bugs, you see these severity uh, one incidents um, more and and more. And how would those be communicated to the CEO? So
0: CEO gets a message from someone on the board or VC or some VIP. And it's like, hey, your site's there's what?
1: There's what? There's a your site's five hundred,ing let's say, um, or you know, we're not seeing new products on your site, or um, you know, hey, I can't, we can't place orders. Oh, okay, there, there, there you go. Your suppliers calling. We can't place orders. Suppliers call. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. So maybe the site's not down. Right. It's just having lots of pro lots of. Uh, issues where the people that need to place orders or the people that need to get updates from your system or the people that want to use your system are running into problems. Okay. So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get real crispy on what the problems are. How, what would the supplier say? <clears throat> your site, your site's not letting me place orders. Um, it, w- it would be whatever their, you know, whatever goal they're trying to accomplish. Um, right. But give me one, give me a more specific one. But can you think of a time that this happened in your, in your history? Like, is there a story that you can remember? Yes. So the, um, in one case, the, uh, it was a big, it was the giant sales day, um, for this industry and, um, on April 20th and their, uh, site could not handle the load, uh, of people coming to try to, you know, buy from their marketplace of, uh of weed. Yeah. And so, like they, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so they were running into um, the system was going up and down. Um, there were actual um, delays in database rights and just the entire, it was a very stressful time and it kept, it kept happening. Um, and so they would, you know, they, they did not um, know the system as well because it was an outsourced MVP uh, that they were trying to grow. And so they did not have the institutional knowledge to be able to dive in and be like, ah, here's how I fix this, uh, and it ended up hitting them year after year, year after year, year after year. And they've they've and they've been they've been trying to uh, they might have finally did it, um, but last my conversation was they've been trying to get off of and just rewrite because they feel like that's easier than trying to you know have the expertise and get the expertise and figure out the problem with the system, but. They're now running into all the problems of a rewrite. Mm. God. Okay, just taking some notes
0: here. All right, so I think I, I was hoping for a, a couple of, um, a couple of other maybe secondary or tertiary symptoms that the CEO would be suffering from, but it's really it's really load. It's outages. If if that's one of the problems, it's the biggest one. <laughs> like, yeah. So, and there's all different ways that it, it could be, um, all different ways that it could be caused like big sales day or just trying to expand into a larger market or whatever the, whatever the reasons are, more people are trying to get on the jet ski. It's going to it just keeps sinking. So, you know, putting a, you know, whatever, some new horn on it, like some new feature on it, isn't going to change the fact that we can't handle more people. Right. So... This is, what are some of the other, other than the site being down, obviously what are, what are the things that, or let me ask it in the the dumbest possible way. Why is it bad
1: that there are outages on big sales days? Yeah, they're losing money uh, and they're, uh, and their investors. So they're losing money from two ends, right? Their investors are losing confidence in them Mm -hmm. uh, and they can't make sales. They need to make to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two, those are the two ends they're getting hit from. Uh, okay.
0: Investors losing confidence, business losing money. What about their customers?
1: Yeah. So the, the customers are the ones that are, you know, seeing these, these poor reputation for, you know, for years. I mean, we still know what the word fail means from Twitter. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> they haven't had one in years and we still know what it is. Yeah. So they're losing brand reputation, um, with their customers. Yep. Yeah. And with, especially with B2B, that's real bad,
0: right? all right so ceo's your buyer here i mean like it's not the cto i mean if you it it could be the cto but why not go for the ceo if you've got problems that a ceo knows about outages on big sales days you know and, and what does that cause that causes you to straight up lose out on money it causes your investors to lose confidence in you it causes brand damage and destroys your reputation like those are all ceo things and they're really bad for somebody who's trying to build a business like this. So this is, I mean, for this kind of, uh, you know, scale up MVP disruptor kind of company. I mean that that's super crispy. I mean, that is like, yeah, for someone's feeling those pains and they believe that there's someone to talk to about that. So what, let's flip it around. What do they wish? What would yeah. be like if you could wave a magic wand CEO, what
1: would what would things be like yeah they would they would they would be able to uh you know handle any uh any customer you know coming to their site they would not lose a single uh dollar in a sale um you know they would not lose face with their investors right investors would be blown away right
0: investors would be like here's more money exactly okay anything about uh, we didn't say anything about competitors in the pain section. Uh, would there be, is there anything else that the, um, anything that's a little bit more specific, maybe less of a big deal, but more specific. So let's say, is there something in FinTech where there's a regular regulatory body or, um, auditors or something that's cause, cause we could say these things about any space where there's a SaaS involved. Is there something specific? to fintech that is unique, that would be part of the pain or part of the dream? Like maybe it's some sort of, you know, failure. Maybe they're required to have some kind of audit trail. And like when the database rights were screwed up, they they had to redo them by hand or or they were just lost and there was a big fine or
1: is there anything specific to them? No, that's exact. That's exactly what they see. Um, They have to keep an audit trail. Um, They have to um, be able to say, this is where this came from, and this is how this happened. Uh, there are regulatory, um, lots of regulatory bodies in the financial space, uh, and there's also uh, compliance as you get larger, uh, like SOC, that you have to you know, actually you know, try to architect your system so that it, it complies, um, so that you can sell to larger, or that you can be as a, you know, in the B2B sense, that you can be a supplier or be a part of the chain for larger companies.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, so when you say compliance, it's government compliance, but it's required by certain companies in order to, for you to be selected. Is that, is, am I understanding that correctly? That's exactly right. Okay. And what, are, what are, the, what's the biggest regulation, or I don't know how to say it. Like, what's the biggest thing that, you know, like what's the HIPAA for this space?
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, SOC and SOC2. Um, so it's, um, they contain these audits that basically says, you know, your your system and your your um, corporation complies with you know the SOC two uh, audit standard. Okay. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And that's you know system and organizational controls is what SOC stands for. Is it is it SOC? SOC, yeah. And it covers security, availability, um, how they process data, uh, confidentiality, and uh, of course, you know, data breaches. So customer privacy. Mm, okay. And how, how would you, would you say,
0: you know, whatever your software is out of SOC 2 compliance or something or your,
1: they would be trying fear? to get, yeah, they would be trying to get into that space. So they would be trying to make their systems uh, SOC 2 compliant. So it's generally, you know, it's one of those things where they, it, it's uh not a psychographic, but it's a transition point for a company where we went from, we didn't need it to now we're trying to sell to bigger companies. Now we need it. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Great, great, great! All right, cool. So, um,
0: and we've got a great crispy. We've got first, we got an ideal buyer, CEO of this kind of company. I won't reiterate again. Um, The some some really expensive pains, some really attractive dreams. So, what are what is a fix? So, like, if we imagine that you've got most people. When they're, you know, a consultant or a freelancer or developer or whatever, they, they start out doing custom projects. So let's just say that, uh, in a perfect world, if you had lots of resources, you know, the, the client was basically gives you a blank check. Um, how would you run an engagement to remediate these outages?
1: Yeah. Um, So it'd be first, it would uh, try to figure out what part of the system is actually causing the problem. So it'd start Um, with an audit of some kind. That's right. So an assessment, basically go through, uh, run the system, you know, see where um, there's some scripts you can run, uh, run the system, profile the system and say, okay, where are we actually having our biggest issues? Um, And I should actually back up. That's the first technical thing that you do. The first non-technical thing you do uh, is to actually talk to... Um, both you know the people that uh, are responsible for building and maintaining the system and people that maybe use the system or what the purpose of the system is so that you can get an understanding of you know what is the invariant, how does the system supposed to operate? you know what input comes in and what things do we deliver? So what is a customer asking for versus here's what I give them and here's the, all the steps that my system has to go through to make that happen. Um, and then it's diving into, you know how does the system actually work? What is it doing right now? And that gives you a sense of the pieces involved. And the reason why I want to know what pieces are involved uh, is that in some cases, fixing the system is you know breaking it up. So back to the word monolith, right? Mm-hmm. By by default, all software is monolith, monolithic. Um, we're just now starting to develop um, cloud native and what we call microservices um and so part you know a solution may be let's break the system up into the discrete pieces uh and then have those pieces be decoupled from each other so that we can horizontally scale the pieces that need to scale and so that we can keep the changes away from the parts of the system that need not change because when it's a monolith it's all going to change um and if you break the system up then you're able to control what changes happen to what part of the system and you're also able to decouple the system so that uh, you can scale the parts that you need to scale. Um, and that may mean involving or implementing something called an event driven architecture, uh, which is a different way of thinking about how little services communicate with each other. Mm, yeah. Let's not get into, let's not get that yeah. deep yet. So, but that's where the, that's where the solution would tend to head uh, in my space, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> in so- my space, <laughs>
0: <laughs> dating ourselves. Um, okay. so. St- so number one, I would call it stakeholder interviews. Yes. And then you do uh, an auditing procedure. Yes. And then you would architect a solution.
1: Yes, I would. I would try to give. I try to give three possible solutions. So, what is the stopgap thing we can do right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, as one, uh, what is the all right? If we want to get the stopgap and we want to not have to revisit this in the long term. So if you don't just want to band-aid, if you actually want to fix the problem, Mm -hmm. here's what we would do. And then the third one is, um, you know, whatever doesn't fit in the other two buckets. Um, So it may mean, um, you know, let's re-architect the system. It may also mean, no, let's just, you know, focus on this particular piece. So if it's the database, let's focus all of our energy on, you know, re-architecting this part of it so that that doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. but that could take time. So you want that stop gap. Hey, if we, if we could do something that would only take you know less than a month, what could we do? Um, but that can be a stop gap or it can be part of the long-term solution. So you want to separate it out in case, uh, it's, you know, in case it goes against a long-term solution.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And you would have found out from stake older interviews, things like how much runway do you have? How fast does
1: this have to happen? What, you know, all the, all these business details, correct? Right. All of those contexts that we don't t- tend to think about as developers, but that are important. So the financial context, the business context, the cultural context, what will the team and what will the business actually let you change? Right. Um, and then the, of course, the technical context, if I didn't already say that. hmm. Yep. OK, so once you've come up with these sort
0: of like uh you know good better best or like near term long term or and maybe something in between once you come up with these options these different architectural options you would presumably present that to leadership and and if and then they would make some kind of a determination based on your recommendations and the feelings of the other stakeholders like what the best um, plan would be i guess yeah yeah plan
1: right what's their appetite for change
0: mm-hmm Okay, and at that point, at that point, somebody's got to do it, and so there's like, uh, so what? What would you do next, or what? You know, again, if they've got a blank check. You like them; they like you. What would happen after the
1: architecture is is selected and approved? Yeah, so I give them the option of, um, you know, hey, I can, uh, you can just keep me on call, and I can help you through this, um, like an advisory retainer. Or I can go further and say, hey, I can actually exercise technical oversight of this so that I will make sure that it stays, you know, whoever you hire, uh, I will make sure it stays on the rails. I will make sure that it doesn't go against, you know, the architecture of what we're actually trying to achieve. I'll make sure we don't fall in any holes or, along the way. Um, because typically, if the team could do this, they would have already done this and they wouldn't need me. So, by the fact that they're doing this for the first time uh, means that they don't. Quite know what they're doing yet with this, and then the third one uh, would be, hey, I can actually uh, do this for you. So you know, I can um, interface between you and a team that I hire to do this, um, and we can you know work together to get it done. Um, Because typically, time is the concern. Um, They don't want to. They don't want to spend a year. They don't want to spend six months. I mean, they probably spend six months, but they don't want to. So anything they can get, you know, sooner uh, is better. And usually they're at this point they're willing to throw money at it. But that goes back to the architectural problem because if you've got an old team and a new team working, uh, you know, one's trying to split it out and the other team's trying to add features to it, you've got a lot that you've got to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, you know, in that conversation of giving them the three approaches initially, short, medium term, you know, where you said good, better, and best, um, it's a conversation about okay, all right, you want, you know do you really want to re-architect this thing and you want someone else, another team to do it next to your team? Cause that's got its own issues. Right. Um, so, okay.
0: So, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit in the coaching Slack and it all aligns with, uh, I think the, the product, I mean, in a sense, you're describing a product ladder. Um, you know, you've got, you, you could sell, the sort of diagnostic recommendations thing unto itself, the kind of audit that will actually remind me because of so many people talking to in there (laughs) um, around similar things. What stuff are you currently selling? Like what do you, what do you have uh, on your website that you currently offer?
1: I offer right now uh, the assessment or the, the roadmap. Uh, Mm -hmm. the architectural roadmap and then I are and I offer the advisory retainer and I don't say I offer custom projects but I offer custom projects right like if you find the right thing in there like oh we really would like it yeah
0: so cool smart all right and it feels to me the thing that's different from for me from this conversation than from previous uh in slack is that it feels like um just personally for me i have way more clarity on the distinction between these two what i've been calling the queen mary and the jet ski kinds of clients where before i i feel like previous conversations in my mind it was less clear about who the who the client might be and it was more you know we've had conversations in the past about like you know worldview type stuff and like things should be architected this way in general or you know so on and so forth and like more horizontal this is this is a lot less horizontal this feels a lot less horizontal than before I don't know is that true for you too or does this this is all like is this all like obvious to you and and, and it's really me that's kind
1: of getting the clarity no it's it was not obvious to me at all because from my perspective I didn't see a difference between the old and stodgy that had a monolith that they were trying to you know increase the longevity of versus the young upstart um, that decided that, hey, we, we actually have an acute problem here. Um, to me, they were the same because the solution is the same. So the solution is no. the same, right? Right. And that, that was the problem I was saying. So this has been very helpful into, hey, um, you know, it used to be, I would say, I help B2B SaaS's scale up their .NET monolith, or I help .NET uh, teams, you know, move to microservices or event-driven architecture. That's what I used to say. But now I can actually go in and say, hey, fintech, yeah. you know fintech ceo right exactly are you having these issues and if so uh, i can help and then less on what i do right and how i do it and more on solving the problems that they have so this has been really useful oh good uh, in in that regard that's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like when you started talking about event-driven architecture,
0: I was like waving my hands, like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, that'll <laughs> go to sleep now, right? <laughs> that, and that conversations is it's super important, but that's after the sale. That conversations after the sale, or it might even be when you are doing the stakeholder interviews and and uh, trying to come up with something that's feasible for the constraints that this particular company has. Like I could imagine, I could imagine a situation where you're like, wow, this company is not going to be able to handle it. They don't have enough time or budget or something. There could be some constraints where the best practices can't be applied in their situation. So you have to do something really smart. That's where a consultant can come in and say like, yeah, all the advice you're going to get online is, is, is like X and it's not wrong, but it won't work for you because of reasons one, two, and three. So we need to come up with something clever and improvise and do something that's going to keep the ship afloat or the jet ski afloat to torture the metaphor. No. Yeah. So yeah. Great, great, great. Okay. So I'm glad to hear.
1: Yeah. That's exactly why I reached out because, um, you know, going two levels down into how I do it doesn't matter. And what I've been doing in the past and how I've solved these problems in the past is varied. Um, it's not always been adopt X, um, it's been you know, whatever works for the context for the situation. And that's why I felt like I was floundering with my current positioning because mm. my current positioning was focused on what I do and how I do it, which I wouldn't do all the time. And, but then it leads to people that only want when they have that particular, you know, they already think they, that's a solution that um, they approach you. And, but that's not what I want. I want the problem to be where people approach me. I'm you know a fintech company having outages or running into you know acute regulatory problems Mm -hmm. um and i work and i you know happen to have a net system um can you help now the question becomes should if i'm talking to the ceo should the tech stack should i even mention that part hey when you when you you just said net i was shaking my head (laughs) i was like
0: it doesn't it it well you tell me does it matter i mean i would be personally a little bit reluctant to take like uh you know, a shop that's essentially using Linux for everything, you know, there's sort of Apache open source hippie people like me, <laughs> I would be reluctant to like, okay, we're going to move everything
1: over to Microsoft and, and be like, oh, yeah. Well, .NET is also, Microsoft is now getting hippie too. Like they run on Linux, they have .NET Core. Um, so they're, you know, in the past few years have been expanding into that space and actually making it so .NET wasn't Windows only. Um, and that's great. Uh, that's, but that's a very new, relatively new development in the life of .NET. There's only been the past three or four years where that's been a thing. Mm. That's fair. That, and that's cool.
0: And I'm glad to hear that. Uh, but still, they're not going to have, if they don't have any .NET talent on staff, that could potentially be a constraint and just be like, uh oh. So yeah. the question is, if they were, I don't know, if it was a Python shop, I don't even know, like if it was something else,
1: would you be able to help? Yes, because I, and I only say yes, because I have, there are there's always architectural things whether or not the implementation is different. there's always architectural things that you can do and those are pretty consistent among stacks. but I also have Python experience I have you know javascript systems experience Python systems experience mm. um, but that's the only reason I could say yes to that uh, if i didn't if I didn't understand the intricacies of Python um, I would not be able to help them solve those problems right um, so. so i so here's here's my thought like I would
0: probably. Really, I would really minimize any mention of, of .NET because if, if you're reaching out to, to CEOs and you're getting traction um, and it's just turning out that all of them are, like name something that you would say no to, like I can't help you with that, like I don't know, Cobol. or, or Yeah, I can't help you with that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so if somebody came along and was just like, I would probably just deal with it at the stage, I would deal with it conversationally and just be like, um, you know, if let's just say, you, you know, you changed your your LinkedIn headline to, uh, hey, FinTech CEO, are you, you know, struggling with SOC 2 compliance or or are you having outages on your biggest sales days or whatever, whatever, whatever it ends up being, or I help FinTech CEOs scale or whatever, whatever the, the thing is. And let's just say you find you find something that starts to get people reaching out to you you know you start to have conversations i would probably just handle the the stack in the conversations and i wouldn't anywhere near lead with it and if they said something like cobol or whatever you know i would still politely help them to the extent that i could in the phone call and say you know i'm not i'm not f- really familiar with cobol i wouldn't be comfortable but maybe i could you know put you in touch with someone or maybe you know and maybe over time there's some uh, some you, know, you end up with a little black book of people you can refer work to if it's just not going to be a good fit for you because of the tech stack but i i think if you're operating at a level like this is a very high level strategic architectural level the implementation details shouldn't matter they will start to matter more and more as time goes on with the project so like the longer you engage the more they're going to matter but to do like um, to do some of these things like an assessment or you know, some of that stuff probably, oh, you tell me it might not matter what stack it's on or, or there, you just are attracting lots of of.net people by accident,
1: you know, and you can just not even worry about it. Yeah. So it goes back to what we said before. They're, they're all going to have the similar patterns of issues in the implementations. The implementations might, you know, the fix might be different or um, the problem might manifest itself in an implementation in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but they're all going to have the problems. Yep. So if you were doing pro- let's say you're just doing project
0: oversight, or let's say you do the a turnkey implementation and you bring in a crackerjack COBOL team and it's your job to, to, to really do have the highest level of involvement at keeping the, the train on the
1: tracks, like, would that be within your, would you be comfortable with that? Or would you think that would be a mistake? Um, I wouldn't know. Yeah. I think that would be a mistake only because I wouldn't know how to source. I mean, there's probably so few COBOL people left that they're the ones that are still doing it are the, are the rock stars. Mm. Um, but my issue is if it's not in the stack I've worked before, I wouldn't know how to source the people, okay. um, to solve the problem. That that's, that's the difficulty. Got it. Okay. Yeah.
0: So there's a boundary line there. Yeah. And that's fine. But I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't even bother leading, I would certainly not lead with it. I might not even bother mentioning it. Maybe down in your bio, it's like, you know, I'm, you know, hi, I'm George. I've been a a.net expert or whatever you want to say in your bio. And maybe it's mentioned somewhere, like not saying hide it, but yeah. uh, I think, I think to optimize for conversations and, and just focus way, way down on the ideal buyer, which we've defined clearly here and figure out how to get on their radar in a way you know so that when they uh, either when they eventually do have an outage or they're having current let, let's say they're not currently having outages at least they'll be like positioned you'll be positioned in their mind as the guy to call when the mvp starts falling over you know or maybe they know someone that is in that situation and so you can meet them at the right time you know so i mean if we back up the whole point of position is to make you memorable so that when the time comes Yours, yours is the name that pops into their head. So, uh, yeah. So if you were aligned with, I'm not, you know, I, I don't know what we would call it exactly, <laughs> but I feel like it's it's clearly defined. It just needs to be clearly articulated in a way that's perhaps a little
1: snappy or catchy or memorable, but but very clear, you know, so. Yeah, and and to reiterate, that's the problem that I'm having currently is that I'm not able to trigger a Rolodex moment while I help .NET team scale their tech. That's, that's just so broad to, to not, you know, oh, am I, well, can you solve this problem? Can you solve that problem? But focusing and, you're, and you helping me focus on a vertical uh, allows me to say the problem in the way the vertical would encounter it uh, and not in, a, you know, not in a vague, wishy-washy scale their tech way, but an actual problem they have. Um, and so I would rather have more conversations and conversations that I could say no to than my current state, which is having very few conversations. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a lot of, you know, there, there's so many layers to get through before we can figure out whether we should have a conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. Cool. We could probably talk all day. We should, should probably wrap up. Um, Where can people go to uh, put you in touch with fintech CEOs who are having outages (laughs) or ask you more questions or make suggestions or uh, let you know that they're a rockstar Cobalt developer that you could hire?
1: Yeah, so my website is creatively called georgestocker.com, which is also my name, uh, (laughs) S-T-O-C-K-E-R, and you can find me on there and how to contact me in any way you'd like. Excellent.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on, George. Thank you for having me. Alright, that's it for this time. I'm Jonathan Stark, and you have been listening to Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.